This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. We've had a slogan as a church for quite some time, every person is important to God. That's been one of those driving things for us for probably about 15 years now. I actually can't remember where that slogan came from. Others who have been here as long as I have might remember, but I can't. It's just become part of our church. And something that uh, Catherine said a while ago to me really struck me. As one, I mean, a lot of things that Catherine says strikes me, don't get me wrong, but this is one thing particularly that struck me, which was it's not just every person that's important to God, Mark. It's the whole person is important to God. So often, in, particularly in our Baptist tradition, we're really good at focusing on the soul, on the salvation of the soul and the inner life. But actually, what we see in Scripture is that God cares not just about our souls, but the whole person. And a few months ago, I was reading through the Proverbs, and this couple of Proverbs just jumped out at me. And what struck me about it was that a father here is giving advice to a son and the, the series of advice, pieces of advice that he gives are ultimately about how God cares about every part of our lives, every part of our humanity. And next, it's uh, Proverbs 23, verses 19 to 25, and they're two sayings out of a series of 30. And I just want to say this real quickly about the Proverbs. So often people see the Proverbs as just a complete random set of weird sayings. There's, they're not. They're beautiful. They're godly wisdom set out in such a way that build a book of godly wisdom to live by. But in these two particular proverbs, what we see is that God doesn't just care about our soul, our spirit, but God cares about the whole person. What we're going to do is we're going to run through these uh, two sayings. We're going to go pretty quick with it. And we're not going to be able to go to super depth on any of these particular things that I'm going to talk about. But if any of them strike you as, I'd like to know more about that, I've put together some stuff at home that if you'd like to know some more verses about what we're going to talk about, you can let me know and I will send it to you. Um, for life groups, I would suggest, one thing, I haven't spoken to Ruth about this, but if you're ever looking for a way to look at uh, a series of studies consider the different aspects of what it is to be human and how God actually cares for every one of them. And the first thing we see, and I'm going to read through the whole two uh, sayings first, and then we're going to go break them down. The first thing he cares about is our heart. So saying 16, verse 19 of Proverbs 23. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice." May she who gave you birth be joyful. The first thing we see here that God cares about is our hearts. Why? Well, in the modern world today, the heart is the seat of emotion. I love you with all my heart. We just got a new dishwasher because our old one. I found myself saying to Catherine today, I love our new dishwasher. How absurd is that? I love our dishwasher. I love my dog, but I don't love my dishwasher. 
But we just use these phrases, right? I love this. I love donuts. I love this. I love that. No, love is more than emotion because the heart in the Bible is more than just the seat of emotions. The heart is what the seat that drives your life. The heart is where you you set what your priorities are, what's important to you, what the Bible calls in Greek, your suke, your life. And so that's why God can say in Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Whatever your heart goes after, your life goes after, your money goes after, your affections go after. So he says right from the start, guard that, guard that. Ezekiel 36 is one of the great promises of Scripture and one of the great promises to Christians when one of the things that God promises to do with us when we become Christians, what he promises to do with our hearts is this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, God knows that our direction Our purpose is so often caught up in our emotions. And he says, I will give you a new one. I'll give a a new heart. And that comes down to what we feed our heart. What we tell ourselves is important. What we feed our affections. Sometimes what we starve our affections of. If we if we are finding that we are going after things we shouldn't be going after, what we need to do is actually starve our heart of those things so that we stop going after them and feed our hearts with the things we should be going after. I once had a youth leader say to me when I, I talked to him about a particular area of sin with which I was struggling as a teenage boy. He said, the, pro- the thing to do, Mark is not to stop tell, stop telling yourself, stop doing that. The thing to do is go after something better. Go after Jesus, who is so much better, and you will find the rubbish is rubbish. The first thing, your heart. The second thing, and this is one I I'm, I'm think sometimes throughout history, we've not got right. God actually cares for our bodies. God cares for our physical life. He says, uh, do not join those who drink too much or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. He cares about our bodies. He cares about how we get on physically. There used to be a, a heresy in the early church called docetism. I don't know how they said it back then because that was almost 2000 years ago. And what it said was the inner life is important, the soul is important, the spirit is important, but the body doesn't matter at all. And that was actually regarded back then by the church as a heresy. But I wonder how much in the Western church today have we come to focus so much on the soul that we have forgotten that God does actually care about our bodies. He cares about how we steward them. He cares about how we look after them because they are a tent of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Holy Spirit. See, if we understand that God actually cares about us physically, we can't come to any other conclusion when we look even at the ministry of Jesus. 
Because Jesus didn't just come to earth and say to people when they came to him with needs, well, I'll heal your soul, but don't worry about the rest of you. He, when the lady with the discharge of blood came to her bleeding, he didn't say, oh, I'll fix you up internally, but don't worry about that. You'll just have to cop that. Now, if God didn't care about our bodies, he wouldn't give us a new one at the second resurrection, at, when we resurrected. No, God cares about us physically. And if that's true, there are two implications for us. James tells us in chapter 4 of James, we dare not, if we see someone in need, just say, well, I'll pray for you, off you go, be well. We must care for them. But it also means I have to care for this. I have to care about this which God has entrusted to me. The irony is the thing that I took me a long time to learn is that I cared very much about my soul, not so much about this, until it became pretty obvious to me that we're pretty much interconnected, aren't we? And I don't know about you, but I find prayer hard when I feel crook. The physical, the heart, the soul work together. We're not broken up little individual things with a whole lot of different parts that aren't connected. The heart and the body are connected. But then he says in verse 22, it's not just about you, it's not just about your heart and your body, but listen to your father who gave you life and, despise, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen to people. Our relationships are important to God. And Trudy uh, Henley does amazing art, where, particularly where she takes Bible verses, does them beautifully so that they're memorable and visible. And I'm going to get you to do up this verse for me, for my four kids. That one that says, I listen to your father who gave you life. If I can get that done four times, one for each of their bedrooms, that'd be awesome. Listen to your father who gave you life. And we know God gives life. What's his point? Dad might have a little bit more experience. Mark Twain said, when I was 18, I thought my father was an idiot. By the time I was 21, I was amazed how much he'd learned in three years. Our relationships matter. Who invests in our lives matters. Bad company corrupts good character, Paul says. God actually cares about that. He cares about who's investing in your life. He cares about who you're investing into. We are not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be little, uh, in our little cubicled life with no interaction with anyone else. We are meant to be with other people. One of my heroes of the faith was an incredible author, a guy named Arthur Pink. Who's heard of Arthur Pink? Pinky to his mates. And Pink was an incredible author, particularly about the nature of God. He wrote an amazing book called The Sovereignty of God. Incredible. But he was such a cantankerous old thing that he and his wife ended up moving to an island where all the inhabitants of this little island agreed with him theologically. This is not, this is, I'm not joking and found a church on that island where everyone all agreed with each other. And if anyone new came to the door, would be asked, what do you believe before they let you in? 
because they just wanted to be with people who agreed with each other all the time. Now, how can a man who understands the nature of God so profoundly, of God's love, of God's acceptance, of God's grace, how can he then get to that point of seeing other people like that? It's almost like he had social media back then. Because that's where we are now. It's good to be friends with people who don't agree with you. And if all of your friends all think the way you do, act the way you do, it's pretty insular. And so the, the son is told here by his father, ironically, listen to me. I've got some experience. I've got a few runs on the board. Who invests in your life matters and God cares. But then he goes on to say, buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction and insight as well. Our minds matter to God. How we feed them, how we learn, how we go after new things. Do you know, one of the things that the West has forgotten about the legacy of the church is that free education was a Christian idea. Educating little girls was a Christian idea. The great universities of the world, Oxford, Cambridge, um, Harvard, the Sorbonne in Paris, all started by Christians. Because the church has had a legacy of intellectual growth, of knowing more. Why? Because we understand the more you know, the more you look into stuff, the more you think, the more you grapple with things, the more you, are, you get to be amazed by the creation of Almighty God. Because God is amazing. He cares about what we feed our minds. And then finally he says, a righteous child brings great joy to the Father. In the Old Testament, whenever it talks about righteousness, it talks about our standing before God. And this is where we have to be really clear, friends. If this is your first time in church, the first time you've ever engaged in church. We want you to hear really clearly what we believe about the soul. Every person, every person has disobeyed God. Every one of us has turned our back on him. Every one of us is unrighteous. We've all done it. And we all deserve death. Some of us are just a little bit more aware of it than others. But Jesus went to the cross. And he exchanged my unrighteousness for his righteousness. He exchanged my death for his life. He exchanged my disobedience for his obedience and he took me from being an enemy of Almighty God to being called a son of God. That's what Jesus did. And so that's why he can say, uh, Peter can write in chapter 1 verses uh, 8 and 9 of his little book, of his little letter, though you have not seen him, Jesus you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, what happens when we become a Christian is this. 
You are made alive now. You don't have to wait to die to have eternal life. You have it the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to wait to die to be called a child of God. You are now a child of God when you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell in our lives and is the seal, the guarantee of God's salvation on us. And we want you to know that today. See, God didn't just love our heart, our body, our relationship, our minds and our soul. He loves humanity so much that Jesus came from heaven and he lived all five of those quadrants. He lived he saw what it is to be tempted. He saw what it is to be abandoned by his closest friends, betrayed by one of his closest number. He took the scars of our sin in his body. He grappled with temptation and he saved our souls. See, it's not just that every person is important to God. It's not just that the whole person is important to God. It's the whole person is loved by God. How much so? Jesus died on a cross for us. And he's coming again. Why is this all important? Why does this matter? Because if we try and find our meaning and life in the world in any of those five areas by what the world offers, we will be disappointed. But if we ground it on Jesus, we're firm. Our world is chaotic at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed. There's an ongoing war in Ukraine. There's an ongoing conflict in uh, Gaza. There's just been an election yesterday in Taiwan who have elected a party that are outspokenly wanting to make sure they never reunify with China. China will take that well. We've got political discord in our own nation. Domestic violence, after having been on the decline for years, is actually rising again. Our world is in trouble in every one of those areas. The only answer is Jesus. And we have him to offer. We have his life. We have his love. We have his grace. We have his assurance. We have his peace. And we have it to give to the world. So how do we do it? I'm brought back to a passage in Matthew chapter 11. And my, uh, you will know it as uh, when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and, uh, and heavy laden. My favorite translation of this verse comes from the message version by Eugene Peterson. And he translates it this way. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I don't think he just means soul there. I think he's talking about the impact of knowing the gospel on all the areas of our lives. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
how do we make sure? How do we grow in this? By learning the unforced rhythms of grace. That we are loved by God. That we are stewards of what God gives us, including our own bodies. Not that we have to earn our salvation, because we can't. But because we already have the salvation. So my challenge to each of you and to me as we begin this new year together is if you look at those five areas, I realize I call them five quadrants, but that's five, that's four things. I don't know what you call a quadrant when it's one of five, but someone will tell me later, I'm sure. Okay, quadrant, whatever, someone said it. Whether it's the heart, the body, the relationships, the mind or the soul. Where can you be learning the unforced rhythms of grace this year? in your life that's the challenge for me it's physically I have struggled for years up and down with looking after my body but I have learned particularly in this last six months that I am a steward of that which God has given me the unforced rhythms of grace Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you not just that you love every person or that every person is important to you, but that the whole person is important to you. You care about us physically. You care about our hearts. You care about our relationships. You care about our minds and you care about our souls. Thank you that you care. We are astounded that the God of the universe should care. What is man that you're mindful of him? We, we hear David in that. What, what is man that you should be mindful of us? But you do. And so, Father, I pray that as we begin this new year and we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, that we will learn the unforced rhythms of grace in all areas of our lives. Not to earn your favor, but because we already have it. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for rising again. Thank you that you are coming again. Help us to live as people of the resurrected Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.